Well, I'm actually wondering kind of what I'm doing up here after Jake's talk and that last song. Man, that was powerful, wasn't it? Man, that just kind of preached by itself. But we are so glad that you joined us today, whether you are online or, or here live. And uh, we think God's got something special. Uh, my name is Brad Maddox, and I'm one of the uh, teaching pastors here at Crossbridge. And I get the privilege of kicking off this brand new series called Shattered. And uh, we're going to be here about the next three weeks and just talk about some different things that, that, about lives that are actually shattered. And it actually is a teaching that came out of a book that our young adults pastor, Jordan Chitwood, wrote. And this is the actual book. And uh, 23 years old, and he has written a book. And I'm a little older than that, and I'm just hoping to read one this year. And so that's kind of, you know, kind of how we roll around here. But I think it'll be challenging. Here's the thing is that over the last, oh, it's been many months, God has just been kind of challenging me and having me wrestle with some, some things. And um, some things that I said, you know what, I, God, I, I don't want to listen to this right now. I, I don't want to do this right now. And then Jordan comes and gives me a, an advanced copy of his book. And I, I read it. And here it is, the same thing that God has been kind of pushing me on and challenging me on. And, and so it just has all kind of culminated to this. And, and I just think, I just want you to understand that, that no matter what happens over the next three weeks, and I think we're going to be challenged, I think we're going to be asked to take some next steps, I am taking those next steps myself. That I am being challenged in the very same ways, and the things that I am I'm talking about today, I want you to understand that God is still working on me, and he is challenging me and, and, and asking me to take some next steps that honestly I'm not comfortable with that I don't honestly want to do either. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about this phrase that you've heard Jordan say many times. It's about the least, the lost, the lonely, and the forgotten. And I said it correctly. <laughs> Woo! I, you know, I get up every once in a while, and I say something like that, but I never get all the words right. And he makes fun of me every time. So I practice and practice and practice to make sure. But, you know, we say it a lot. And, and, and sometimes you think, well, are you going to talk about anything else? It all comes down, honestly, to this. The least, the lost, the lonely, forgotten. I like to add a few words. Sometimes it's the forsaken. Sometimes it's, it's the marginalized. Sometimes, But there's people in our lives, and we all know people in our lives that if we were honest, we just know that their lives are a mess, that they've been struggling with, with some things. They've been struggling emotionally. They've been struggling maybe financially. They've been struggling with their relationships, and if you look at their lives, there's just kind of this, this trail of bodies behind them, just the people who are they're making a, a mess of also. We know people whose lives have been shattered, people whose lives did not turn out the way that they expected them to, that things got in the way, that things happened. Maybe, honestly, that's your story, and you're sitting here today, and you're shattered, and you're broken, and you feel lost or maybe lonely or marginalized, or maybe that's been a part of your story, and you've come through that, and maybe you can help some others as they are facing those same kind of things, because we all have big dreams. We all have the expectations of how life is supposed to turn out, how we want our lives to turn out, and then comes the divorce. Then comes the job loss. Then comes the death of a spouse or a child. And here we are, our lives are in crumbles, we're a mess, we're shattered, we don't know where to turn, we don't know what to do. Or maybe you've grown up in church, 
and you look at the world around us and you think of all the things that are happening, all the tragedies, all the, the killing, all the hatred, all the division, everything that's happening, and you're thinking, where in the world is God in all of this? Or maybe you look at how, how people treat each other, even in the church, or maybe you've gone to a church sometime and, and, and you have been hurt by that. And, and your life has been shattered, and you're wondering, is, is this thing even real? Is it even something that I should, should put my, my heart and my life into? Our lives have been shattered. And so over the next three weeks, that's what we're going to be talking about and looking at. And again, this has been something that God has really challenged me on. Matter of fact, a, a few months ago, I am on a devotional thread with a, a bunch of, of guys I used to work with, and, and this devotion came through, and it asked three questions. And it just wrecked me. Here was the very first question. The question was, had you been a German Christian during World War II, would you have taken a stand against Hitler? And we think back in that point in history and all the Jews that were being persecuted and murdered by this regime. And we know and, we, and we've heard stories of the, people, the Christians who came alongside and, and hid them and did everything they possibly could to, to help them. But yet there were other Christians that, that, that didn't. And we think, if we were alive in that time, would we have taken a stand? Would we have been the type of Christian that would have said, no, this is not right? The second question, had you lived in the South during the civil rights conflict, would you have taken a stand against racism? And, you know, that wasn't all that long ago. I still remember the marches. I still remember Dr. Martin Luther King and some of those marches and the speeches that he, he did and, you think, and, 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 and we think back and we know that there were some Christians that came alongside and said, yeah, well, we've got to stop this racism. But there were churches and other Christians who didn't. Would we have taken a stand during that time? And then the third question is this. When your grandchildren discovered that you lived during a day in which 1.75 billion people were poor and 1 billion were hungry, how will they judge your response. How do you answer that? Or maybe they ask this, when your grandchildren discovered that you lived in a time when there were 27 million slaves, how will they judge your response? Or if your grandchildren find out that 800,000 people commit suicide every year in the time that you were living, how will they judge your response? Or your grandchildren looking at it, you say, you know, there were 4,500 Africans who die of AIDS every day. How will they judge our response? That's challenging. That's what's happening today. What are we as a church, what are we as Christians doing about it? So I want to read you a piece of scripture. It comes out of Matthew chapter 25. If you want to get your Bibles, your U versions, it'll also be on the screen as we follow along. And, and, and I don't want you to get caught up in the how and when of, of, of the theology necessarily of this passage, but these are Jesus' words, and I just think there's something powerful in here for us today. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31, says this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And we get this picture of Jesus in his glory on a throne. And he keeps talking. He says this in verse 34. 
Then the king, Jesus, will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the response to those who are on his right is this. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when? Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Jesus, we didn't see you there. We don't remember doing this. We don't remember when you were in need. We don't remember when you were hungry or thirsty or in prison. How can you be saying that about us? And Jesus responds, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And we start getting the picture. We start understanding there's some kind of connection between how we treat the least and Jesus. But he doesn't stop there. And he goes on, and he says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And the response is, they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? Jesus, if we would have seen you, we would have helped you. Jesus, if we would have known and we would have seen you in person without clothes or hungry, we would have done something. We would have come alongside. If you would have been in prison, absolutely we would have come and visited you. So we didn't see you in any of those things, so how can you hold us accountable? How can you say that we didn't come alongside of you? And Jesus answers, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of these, one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Can we agree that there is something powerful and significant here? What Jesus is getting us to see and understand is that how we take care of those in need, how we take care of the least, the lost, the lonely, the forgotten, the marginalized, the ones on the outskirts of society that nobody wants anything to do, how we treat those people is how we treat Jesus himself. And he is calling us to a different standard. He is calling us to a higher calling. He is calling us to make a difference in the world. When we take care of those are needy and we may sit here and say yeah but you know what they caused a lot of this the decisions they've made that is true that lifestyle that they're choosing it's no wonder they're having the issues that is absolutely true but it doesn't stop us from being called as jesus says to reach the least the lost this is who we have got to become as followers of christ 
James, the brother of Jesus, says this in chapter 1, verse 27 of his book, James. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. If you're looking for a religion that is, is pure and faultless, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And we get this whole orphan thing, and, and, and we do a lot of that. We've got people adopting kids, and, and, and all, and which is awesome. But then we think about this widow thing. We think, well, you know, widows. But you've got to understand in this culture, in this society, what a widow was. A widow couldn't own property. She didn't work. So if, if her husband died and she didn't have any sons to take care of her, she was basically destitute, had no way of income, had no way of being able to live. And we've got to ask ourselves, how does that translate to our culture today, in our society today? Who are the people who are marginalized, who, who don't have a chance, who can't make it? Those are our widows. And, and taking care of them, that is pure religion. That's what God honors. And then James, 2,000 years ago, says, says, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. How relevant is that to us today? That we get caught, so caught up in society, we get so caught up in culture and everything that the world and culture says that we ought to do and what we ought to have that we overlook and we, we don't even bother about the people that we see around us who are shattered, who their lives are a mess, who's been destroyed and they don't have any idea of how they're going to get out of the mess that they're in. And because we're so caught up in the culture, so caught up in what is happening over here, we don't have the time to help. What do we do? Jesus keeps telling us it's about others and others and others and others and others. And we keep saying from here, it's about others, it's about others, it's about others. And what about me? And I'm truly afraid that we have become a self-centered church. And I'm not saying necessarily Crossbridge, although I think there's some of that that we have to be very careful about. But I'm talking about the church universal the bride of Christ, the way that the whole thing that's designed around us reaching the world is the church. That's plan A, and there is no plan B, and we become very self-centered. It's all become about us. What's in it for me? That I want to become a Christian for what I can get out of it. And honestly, it's our fault as pastors, as leaders of the church, of this movement, of this ecclesia, because what we've done is we've soft-sold the gospel in hopes to get more converts, to get, get more people to, to claim the name of, of, of Christianity, of Christians, that I'm a Christian, we've made it easy. And I get why. I understand that. We see the Great Commission of saying that we need to go out and make, you know, make disciples. When, and if we can just get them to cross the line of faith, if we can get them to raise a hand in service, if we can get them to come forward in a service, if we can get them to say a prayer, and then they're in, and whew, we've made it. Now we've got another mark on the board, and we can go on. We have to ask ourselves in our society, in our culture, in our church, in this movement, what does it mean to become a Christian? And if we sat here and dialogued about it and had a conversation, we'd probably say, well, you know, it's, it's understanding and believing that, that God became a man, this Jesus, who lived and had some disciples around him, who ticked off the religious leaders who actually put him to death and took him to a cross and nailed him there where he died. And he took our sins and put him on a cross and died and rose again three days later. And if you believe in that, then you are a Christian, and that is all true. And it is a cornerstone of what we believe. But unfortunately, that's where it stops. You believe that, you say a prayer, you can stamp your get-into-heaven card. 
that you can cross that line of faith. If you know just enough to get over here on this side of it, we've stamped our card that now we're in. Wow, that's good. You know? Because that other part, that we don't want that part. It's not so good. So we want to make sure we're here, but you mean there's other parts? You mean that you want me to live a certain way? I used to be on, I actually used to lead teams way back in the day. There was this thing called Evangelism Explosion, a program. And what we would do is we would go out and we'd meet people in their homes or on the street or what have you and get to know them and kind of get a conversation going. And we'd ask them a question. If you were to die tonight and you stood before God and he asked you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And that's kind of what we reduced it down to. If you know a certain set of facts, if you can say the right words, if you say the magic prayer, if you say the magic words, then you can cross the line of faith and you can be one of us and you can skip all of that. And as much as some of that is true, there's more to it than just that. Basically, what we were saying, what we have been saying is that if you know the minimum requirements for entrance, then you can get in. That's what we've reduced Christianity to. If you can just know and understand the minimum basic requirements, then God has got to let you in. I was reading a book by, by a pastor by the name of John, John Ortberg, and he was talking about this very thing, and, and he said it this way. Can you imagine, guys, if we would go to our fiancés at the time or, or your wives and you say, I want to marry you, okay? But here's what we ask them. To your fiancé, to your wife-to-be, this is what we'd ask them. I want to know... What's the absolute least I can do to stay married to you? What's the lowest level of commitment, the fewest affirmations, the smallest promises, the highest level of ignorance permissible? What are the minimum requirements for my maintaining my husband's status? I just want to be able to get married to you. I want to cross the line, but I don't want to really get all that involved. I really don't want it to change my life, you know? Your fiancé would probably say, I think you're barking up the wrong tree, wouldn't it? But yet, that's exactly what we do when we ask someone to follow Christ. Just get them along, cross the line of faith. Just get them, just get them in, and we'll have them. But what Jesus actually does is he asks us to follow him. He doesn't ask us to become a Christian. He asks us to follow him. And he says in Matthew chapter 16 <laughs> that we, if we're going to follow him, that we need to lose our life. That if we're going to follow him, that we've got to take up our cross daily and follow him. Because it's about him, it's not about us. One story, he has this rich young ruler that comes and talks to him, and he actually asks the very question. He says, Jesus, what can I do? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus starts giving him a list of all the things, and he is so excited because he has achieved all that. Jesus, yep, I've done all that, man. That's good. And then Jesus drops the bomb. You have one thing left to do. Deny yourself, get rid of everything that you own, and follow me. And he walks away. And I just wonder how many of us would walk away when Jesus says, I want it all. I want every part of your life. That's 
what it means to follow Jesus. It is not on our terms. So many times we come to Jesus and we want it on our terms, but you can't find a place in Scripture where Jesus allows that. You go through all, all the Gospels, all the New Testament, and you'll find Jesus, and it is always, always, always on his terms. And we walk into these places sometimes, and we say, you know, I just hope I like the worship. I hope that I like what's going on. I hope I like the teaching. I hope I like it. I, 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 and it's never about us. It's always about Jesus and others. Salvation is not about punching our ticket to heaven. Salvation is about bringing heaven down to earth. Most of us have that, that famous prayer that Jesus taught us memorized. Thy will be done, thy, king, thy kingdom come as here on earth as it is in heaven. That we are supposed to, as followers of Christ, bring a little bit of heaven down to earth every chance we get. Jesus talked and talked and talked about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom is here. The kingdom of God is here and now. And everyone is expecting what it to look like as an earthly kingdom where there were powers and rulers and they were going to take over. But no, Jesus said it's about us and others and loving the least, the lost, the marginalized, all these people who need us. That's what it's all about. That we at every chance we get are to bring down the kingdom. We are supposed to bring heaven down to our workplaces. We are supposed to bring heaven down into our marriages. We're supposed to bring heaven down into our relationships. We are supposed to bring heaven down into everybody we possibly can meet. That is our call as followers of Jesus. Here we are. We're called to make followers of Jesus, not just Christians. And the world looks at these, the world looks at us, Christians, and say, you know what? They're not that much different than what we are. So why bother? They look like the world, but yet they call themselves a Christian. So what does that mean for us? We ought to be the people who set the standard for compassion, for loving others, for loving the, diff the difficult people, for building integrity into our lives so that what we say is what it is we should care so much for the least and the lost that when they look at how we're treating other people how we're loving other people that they say wow that is amazing can you see what they're doing and we sit here and we complain about about all these the government coming in and helping people that's because the government has stepped in where the church has failed that if we as a church would go in and help the least and the lost the people that are difficult the ones who are are crushed and shattered we wouldn't need the government to step in to help. We are the ones who ought to be doing it as followers of Christ. When we do that, they see something different about us. They say, there must be something about this Jesus guy. I may not believe all of it. I don't understand where it's coming from. But the way they love, the way they take care of other people, these are the people that I want in my life. It would be amazing. We could change the world. And yet we look at the stats that are around us. And I'm just going to give you some stats of what's happening even today. 736 million people live on less than $1.90 per day. 780 million people don't have any clean water to drink. 21 million people are victims of sex trafficking. Right here in the United States, 40 million people in the U.S. struggle with hunger. One in six American children don't know where their next meal is coming from and i want you to understand these stats are overwhelming and i get that and you look at that and you say, how do we make a difference and, and these stats are actually 
there's organizations, there's things happening that are, are bringing all this down. The global poverty rate has dropped like 70% in the last decade or two. So there are progress being made. I don't want to give you the, the, the impression that, man, we're not making a difference at all because we are. It's amazing. But we can look at all these stats and look at them and say, man, I don't, what can I do? What is it that, that I can do to even make a dent in what is happening out there? So what do we do? Paul says this in Galatians 6. He says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And so, so often we can look at those stats and we can start getting weary and just weary of the overwhelm of, of how can we make a difference. We can get weary of, of caring for people. We can get weary of carrying other people's burdens. We can get weary of the drama. We can get weary of everything that's going along, along with that. And he's saying, don't give up because there's a harvest out there. It's, it's, it's ready. It goes on in verse 10 and says, therefore, as we have opportunity, as we have time, is what some translations say, as we have time, as we have opportunity, if we are looking for it, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of God. We've got to be looking for those kind of opportunities. And it goes on in, a little bit before this whole verse and says this in, 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 in verse 2, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. You want to do what Christ commands us? You want to do what the law of Christ asks us to do as a Jesus follower? Is we are to carry each other's burdens. When you see someone hurting, when you see someone shattered, when you see someone who needs help, that is our responsibility as followers of Christ. That's what we are to do. Even when it is overwhelming. Even when we don't know exactly how to do it. Even when we don't feel like it. It's not only inside here, but it's outside of our family. And the natural tendency of any church is to turn inward. And that's why we get up here as regular as we can and say, it's not about us, it's not about us, it's not about you. And again, we come in here, and there's nothing wrong with coming in. We believe in discipleship. We believe in, in community. We want you to, to have a, a, a niche here. But, but that is only so that you can grow closer and closer in your relationship to Jesus so we can go out people outside these doors who will never walk in and grace our presence here so that we can make a difference in other people's lives so we can show them by the way that we live that living with, living with a Christ-centered life is the only way to live. And you, again, going back to the stat, you think, it's just so overwhelming. I, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. And I heard a pastor one time say this, and I'm going to steal it from him. <laughs> he says, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Just do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And my guess is, maybe you grew up just, my mother used to say all the time to me, she said, well, if I let you do that, then I have to let everyone do that. You know? If I give you that, then I have to give everyone that. And have you ever heard that? Did anybody ever say that to you? And what your response is probably the same as mine to my mom. I said, no, you don't. You know? Just give it to me, let me do this, and let's just not tell anyone else, okay? It's all going to be good, Mom. Just do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And sometimes we see the whole big problem, and, and so we don't do anything because we think we can't solve the whole problem, so why should I try anything at all? 
We can't fix the whole problem, so I'm just not going to do anything. And as a follower of Jesus, that is not an option. If you are truly following Jesus, you cannot say that because that is not our calling. That is not what he asks us to do. So the question is, who's your one? Who is your one? For some of you right now, you already know who your one is. God has already put it on your heart. He's been putting it on your heart for maybe months. And you're thinking, oh, but if I, if that's my one, God, you know how much time this is going to take. You know the decisions they made. This is going to be, oh, man, this is going to take, it could take years. Yes, it may. There is someone in your life. There is someone in your sphere of influence whose life is broken, whose life is shattered, who you may be the only way they start making progress, they start making steps out of there. There's someone in your schools who's your one. There's someone in your workplaces who is your one. There's some people in your family who's your one. Who is your one? And as you pray about it, as you go in life, I promise you, if you don't know who your one is, if you just have your radar on it, it may be someone at the grocery store. It may be somebody that that waits on you at a restaurant. If you have your radar on, God is going to nudge you. God is going to reveal to you who your one is. And we can start making a difference. But I want to caution you about something. (laughs) I'm going to caution me because this is the way I am, man. We are going to be tempted to take the easy route. We're going we're gonna to be tempted to, to, to do the, the simplest thing and not really get as involved as we can. We may throw money at an issue, but I'm asking you to go deeper than that. You may have a heart for the poor. You say, oh, you know what, I'm going to give the rescue mission. I'm going to give to Care South. I'm going to give to all these other places, which is absolutely awesome. Go do that. Give your money, absolutely. But if you're worried about the poor, then go out and find a poor family and start going deep. Start getting into that family and spending time and getting in and, and, and trying to help them. That's where the difference is made. Go deep as you possibly can. If you have a heart for teenagers or middle school kids, don't just do it on the peripheral, man. Start getting involved in their lives. I just read a book recently talking about resilient faith and, and millennials and Gen Z. And you've heard us talk about how they are walking away from church in droves. And, and yet they, there's this resilient bunch with the, that are still attending and still living at the their lives at the heart of Jesus, and they go and they survey them and they ask them what's one of the main things that that connect them, and they will all tell you they had an adult in their life that was concerned and loved on them and showed them how to live in Christ. They all had that mentor relationship with an older adult who they could go emulate. That needs to be us. If If you're if you're wanting so much to invest in marriages, and maybe your marriage isn't all that great, but yet you see them crumbling around you, you say, that is, that is it, man. Go find someone whose marriage is a mess and, and journey together and get involved. Go deep as you possibly can. Get messy. Yes, it's going to be ugly. It's going to be hard. It's going to take time and money. But once again, that's what we're called to do. And then go long term. You know, it's, we want to say, you know, we, we're all busy we all have all kinds of stuff. We've got our jobs. We've got our families. We've got games to go to. We've got practices to take our kids to. You name it. There's all kinds of things. And, and, and we can't let that stop us from going out and helping those who are around us who are in need of our help. It's going to take time. And, and it, for some people, it's going to take not just months. It's going to take years. It could take a decade. You may never 
see the person that's your one actually turn their life around. But yet that's what we're called to do. Spending our time going deep, making a difference. That's what living life for Jesus is all about. And it's, it's a challenge. I don't know how to do it. I, I don't know what it's going to take. And I think about this, and it's easy to sit up here and talk about and challenge you and challenge us and challenge me, but we've got to start making steps if we want to make a difference. If we want to go from just being a Christian to being a devoted follower of Jesus, there's something here for each and every one of us. We all know people in our lives are shattered. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what would happen if every one of us found our one and we started investing and we started building and we started doing whatever it is and we started caring for those least, the lost, the lonely, the forgotten? If every one of us found those, we may change this community. We would change this church we may even change the world just like God did when he sent his son to die for each and every one of us. That's our calling. Will you look for your one? Would you pray with me? Father, I don't even know where to start. And I just pray for everyone out here that you would just wreck our hearts, that we would see people the way you see people. That when we see someone that's broken, that is shattered, that you would nudge us and give us the courage and the strength and the willpower and the want. Because there are times, God, we just confess, we don't want to go help. Would you help us to see them like you see them? Would you show each and every one of us in here who our one is so that we can start making a difference? Not in our strength, but your strength. Help us lead them into an amazing relationship, a loving relationship with you where their whole life is centered on Jesus. We can't wait to see what you're going to do. It's an amazing name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Brad. That'll preach. You know, Brad, you should write a book about that topic. That's pretty good, man. Hey, we are so glad that you were here, and, you know, it's humbling and exciting to be doing this three-week series, and we want to share with you that you might be sitting in the chairs right now thinking, I'm the one that's shattered. I'm the one that needs to be served, and I think Jesus would push back on that mindset quite a bit because you see this idea of where, you know, the woman caught in adultery or the woman at the well where Jesus convicts them and, and encourages them, and then he says, hey, now go and do likewise. Go and serve others. And I think if you are shattered that we've got to get to a place of humility too, that it's greater than ourselves and we have to be willing to take next steps as well. And so if you are feeling God nudging you to take next steps, here are a few opportunities to do so. The whole point of this series is not to sell books, it's to encourage individuals to take next steps in serving our community. And so we need volunteers for our sports ministry, for our concessions, for coaching, for refing with the upcoming flag football season coming up. We need volunteers for our tech team. We need volunteers for our, uh, you know, volunteers. If you're like, hey, I like to volunteer, come see us in the back. And then we also are sending a missions team to Belize. 
And if you didn't go on the trip last year, it was amazing. A lot of cool stories. And so we've got uh, Scotty and Teresa Hepler in the back. And right now they are leading the team and raising funds for that. And there's a trifold board in the back with envelopes and pictures of different things that you can support. And so what we want to encourage you to do is to go um, take one of those pictures and the envelopes and then bring back whatever money is on there in the envelopes to donate for the trip. And the money ranges anywhere from $10 to $400. And so the last thing, if you are interested, um, if you're like, hey, how do I, uh, you know, get this book, everything, it comes out in March, but we are doing a uh, book release party on February 23rd, and 100% of the profits that are made that night will be donated to Stripped Love, which is an organization in Anderson, Indiana that combats sex trafficking. And so if you're interested for any of that information, Trifold is in the back here by the exit sign, and the book information is in the lobby. I'm done talking. Brad's done talking. We're done singing. Thank you so much for joining us.